Welcome to A Culture of Innovation. Here we explore turning ideas into tangible ways to create value as well as how innovation as a way of life can create, nurture, and attract the best employees, partners, and customers. Hear from leaders who embrace and demonstrate innovation in their businesses, their communities, and their lives. Listen and be inspired as an innovative leader. Together, we shape culture and change the world. I get to be your host. I'm Nancy Ridge, president and founder of Ridge Innovation, where commitment is innovation with a purpose. And today I am thrilled to announce our guest, Jay McBain. He's a principal analyst of channels, partnerships, and ecosystems at Forrester. And Jay has a pretty extensive resume. I'll invite you to visit his LinkedIn page to really take in the whole thing. So I'll give you a little taste of it now. Jay's an accomplished speaker, author, and innovator in the IT industry. Named to the top 40 under 40 by Business Review, top eight influencer by Channel Partners, top eight thought leader by Channel Marketing Journal, Top 20 Visionary by Channel Pro, Top 25 Newsmaker by CDN Magazine, Top 50 Channel Influencer by Penton, Top 100 Most Respected Thought Leader by VSR Magazine, Global Power 150 by SMB Magazine, and Top 250 Managed Services Executives by MSP Mentor. As a futurist, longstanding member of the World Future Society, Jay is a recognized expert in the future of channels, alliances, partnering, and the study of emerging go-to-market models, including ecosystems. An avid blogger, community, and social media expert, he's developed an innovative dandelion marketing approach, which is engaging in a wide range of communities around the world. Jay's lived in many places, including Calgary, Winnipeg, Toronto, Raleigh, Albany, and Boynton Beach. He actively gives back to the community and has been on the board of the United Way, National Christina Organization, and Junior Achievement. And I also know Jay as a great husband, father, and friend. So welcome, Jay. So glad you're here today. Well, thank you so much for that uh, wonderful introduction, and I'm blushing. <laughs> well, it's all true and more, but we only have so much time. So I'm going to dive right in. One of my signature questions that I like to ask all our guests is what is one example of innovation that you've seen deliver great business outcomes? Well, it's interesting because in my job, I get to study innovation. And, you know, in ecosystems, for example, there's really three things that make up an ecosystem one is intra firm value creation. One plus one equals three. Another one is the network effect, how you use other networks to get to, you know, either new buyers or, or new markets. But the third and most important is co-innovation, how, you know, two companies can come together, develop new products that solve for uh, customers. And that's probably the most interesting thing. I even took an MBA a year ago in entrepreneurship and innovation. So it's something that really drives me. I love it. You're still learning, always learning. And we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the areas where you've seen it becoming tangible just recently. Um, but first, I did want to ask you, um, you have recently been speaking about trifurcating channels. And when I first heard that term and and uh, saw the example, it really struck me as an accurate depiction of how channels are innovating to meet this new world. Can you describe it for our listeners? 
Yeah, I can simplify it. Um, most companies are getting pretty smart and they're innovating around their customer. You know, we call it customer obsession. Once you get obsessed over your customer, you get really interested in their journey, in their early journey, especially. When you first have a problem, when you first think you need something, what are the moments that lead up to making a vendor selection and you know transaction with, with someone? So a lot of companies, it's called journey mapping. They're, they're actually looking at these moments now. And because 75% of the world goes indirectly, you bought your car from a dealer, you bought your last TV from a retailer, you bought your last jar of peanut butter from a grocer, <laughs> every moment is indirect. It's with someone else, someone representing your company. So the more they learn about these early journeys, the more they understand that the sphere of influence early on isn't owned by their direct marketing department or their direct sales department. In most cases, over 50% of the cases, it's owned by their partners. That's the first step of the trifurcation. The second after vendor selection goes to transaction, which is really important, taking the mm -hmm. company's money. But as more companies are changing, innovating to subscription and consumption-based models, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, the, the, the point after transaction is becoming even more important because now the transaction is really the first 30 days with the customer. Now you need to renew and retain that customer every 30 days forever. And the people that are helped driving adoption of your product and innovating in those areas are really important. The people that are integrating your product in with other products to make it more sticky is innovation that you need to look at. And then third, those companies that are with your customer every 30 days forever that are helping you upsell and cross-sell more of your products and portfolio is really important. So this third part of the journey, this renewal retention becomes critical. And all three of these make up the innovation of how you overlay your customer experience and customer journey with partner experience and the partner journey to come out with the right solution. I love that. And I, you know, I saw myself in all of those areas in one way or another, uh, having come from what would be described as the transactional channel initially. But one thing is for sure, and I think this leads back to the whole uh, innovative change we're experiencing, is that technology is a part of all of those areas of influence. And certainly relationships are still foundational. So these types of partners you're describing, I guess, aren't necessarily new, yet how do you see them collaborating to meet the demands of the end user? Because those can be new. And can you share any examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. And you, know, you could quickly take the entire ecosystem of partners and divide them into two. There are more transacting type of partners that get involved in that vendor selection and transactional phase but you have these non-transacting partners and they could be affiliates or alliances. They could be affinity or ambassadors or advocates. There's different models there of partners who don't take the money of the customer. Long right. term, you have integrators and consultants and it could be digital agencies. It could be accountants, anyone in professional services helping a customer for the long term or a consumer for that case right. also becomes someone critical in your entire chain. So this ecosystem of partners now, transacting and both non-transacting, is a different way to innovate. It's a different way to think about your business model. And I'll close by saying that Accenture did a big piece of research recently 
and they asked every CEO in every industry around the world um, what what they were thinking. And 76% of them came back and said their current business model will be unrecognizable in five years. Unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. So the number one reason they said that, the number one reason why, was ecosystems. Mm-hmm. The world is now built around not only your company, but the ability for your company to embed with and to, uh, and I don't mean embed, I mean embed or <laughs> to um, come together with, align with, and build up yeah. strategic partnerships and understand that no one can do it alone. Like if you're in the technology industry, the average cloud solution today has seven layers to it and five different partners that are involved in that early journey. And if you were to take all the permutations, I've done the math, that's 35 million permutations. Of course you've done the math. (laughs) And and it doesn't matter if you're a Microsoft or an IBM or an AWS or Google, it doesn't matter how big you are. The fact is, is you don't own all the moments of where your customer is. And you've got to rely on, in some cases, millions of different kinds of partners to get you not only visible in that early journey, get you to the point of vendor selection, get you that transaction, which is the first 30 days, and then get you renewed and retained for the life of that customer. Most of that Mm -hmm. happens outside of your firewall. And now 76% of CEOs, and it doesn't matter if you make forklifts, it doesn't matter if you make cars, it doesn't matter if you make peanut butter, 76% of the CEOs are starting to envision a future where most of the action happens outside their firewall in partnerships Mm -hmm. and ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've talked to about um, how the buyers in the technology space continue to change and how so much, I think it was well over 45% of the spend in technology is happening outside of IT, which, you know, that means that those spheres of influence are affecting, you know, the entire organization. Well, absolutely. And it's actually 65% of cloud decisions happen outside. So almost two thirds of the dollar outside of IT. And the interesting thing about that is in many companies now, the head of marketing spends more money on technology than the head of IT. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a company looking to sell, and it doesn't matter what you sell, you could be selling security, you could be selling infrastructure. It doesn't matter what you sell, even if it's not a marketing product, you are part of that seven layer cake or that seven layer stack to solve for that customer's outcome. So in that world, the front person, one of those five people heavily influencing that buyer is likely one of the 108,000 digital agencies. And you would have never thought of a digital agency before as being a tech partner, but guess what? 78% of them are now leading with tech services. So this is the explosion of new types of partners And based on the buyer and based on the demographics and the psychology and the millennials that are flooding in that will become the majority of buyers in about four years, all of these elements mean that you have to turn your complete go-to-market and route-to-market strategy upside down. And that's innovation in the business model itself. Absolutely. Um, You know, and as as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm also thinking about how ecosystems are so critical and important in this particular uh, scenario as well. I mean, really, that is the enabler. I've been pouring over your 2020 version of the channel software tech stack, 
Um, for reference, for our listeners, there's 159 companies driving 2.1 billion in revenue in the channel software tech stack alone. And in this article, you described how ecosystems are evolving as the new frontier of digital transformation. Uh, and as I have looked at, you know, the the companies that are listed. Uh, it's just fascinating to see the very um, wide, arranged, wide range of organizations and the many facets of business that they're address, uh, addressing. Um, perhaps you could share with us maybe one or two examples of companies that you find particularly innovating or even strategies out of that report. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the channel tech stack for 39 years has been based around really the transactional type of partner the dealer network, the agents, resellers, the retailers, the franchisees, you know, kind of that element of your partnership strategy. And the big change for 2020 is this addition of ecosystems. So not only do you have to find and recruit and onboard and train and incent and motivate, co-sell and co-market and measure and monitor all your partners. I mean, all those elements, there's about a hundred of those elements are important. But now the type of partner, if they're transactional or non-transactional, where they show up in that customer journey, all these things are now playing three-dimensional chess. So I'm most interested in the companies that can think through delivering a great partner experience, which are those 100 things, regardless of the type of partner you are. You could be a simple affiliate, or you could be a very deep strategic alliance, and everything in between is you've got to deliver that And you've got to do that without people. It's got to be self-service. It's got to be automated and flexible. And it's got to be at a level of scale. Like the average ecosystem is 10 times the size of your resale channel. So you've got to do this at a level of scale that you've never probably contemplated before. So I'm looking at companies that are coming from the consumer world. You know, for example, the Kim Kardashian on Instagram ad that you pay a million dollars for. Uh-huh. How you do ROI in that world is attribution. Well, guess what? In the consumer world, now moving into the B2B world, how do you figure out those early influencers and how they get you to vendor selection for a new client? Well, you do attribution. So those companies like Impact and Partnerize are raising 75 and 50 million each to go build out this B2C software to be B2B because it's now becoming critical in an mm-hmm. ecosystem. You know, second mm-hmm. Company like Crossbeam, who you know knows that the problem in the best of channel situations are with people who are uncomfortable about sharing data. Right, that's a big deal. That Accenture survey you mentioned, you know, that was one of the the larger barriers the CEO saw to entering ecosystems is security and governance and compliance. Yeah, and we've known that for decades. Like you know, partners hate to upload their customer list because there's always this fear that the vendor will one day decide to go direct and go and steal the list. Right. So, you know, they've come up with a very simple, elegant solution, which is this idea of an escrow service. Not unlike legal escrow, you know, when you buy a house and you you put money in a protected account with your lawyer, um, they've done it with data. So I can upload my, you know, Salesforce or Dynamics CRM list of customers. So can the vendors. And this software will make it double blind and allow just the points of connection and enable the collaboration, where if we're calling on the same buyer at the same part of the cycle, or 
if there's some areas of the market by buyer, geography, industry, by sector or segment or size or product, I mean, if there's some connection points that one plus one can equal three, or there could be some co-innovation, this software will pick those needles out of a haystack, introduce those people and give them a platform that they can start engaging without the threat that somebody's going to steal your spreadsheet and, you know, go take all your business direct. Yeah, I've reached out to them uh, to learn more because I'm super fascinated with that particular company. Another one that I uh, am also very enamored with is Tidwit. And we had Will Yaffe here at Culture of Innovation just a couple of weeks ago talking about their platform where they have really mastered that, that whole idea of putting uh, information out at scale uh, Microsoft is their biggest example because they're now enabling certifications in the thousands, almost the hundreds of thousands, you know, very quickly and easily for other uh, organizations that are engaged in their ecosystem. Yeah, it's amazing. A very, very innovative solution. And by the way, you know, back when Microsoft had a linear channel of 355,000 partners, which is a real number, it was, you know, in effect run in a traditional partner way where you know, in one step to the next, it was very linear in the way they did co-selling and co-marketing things. Well, ecosystems are anything but linear. They're celestial. <laughs> a bunch of stars and moons and things going, you know, things that are in your galaxy and things that are not. Sure the stars of Saturn, right? So what, you've got to be able to, Saturn. You've got to be able to map those stars, which Tidwit helps you do. But you've got to find those connection points and be able to predict when stars and moon are going to align in your favor and be able to help that along. So that's all very important. You've got to collaborate. So Microsoft is now bringing on 7,500 new partners every single month. And 80% of those partners are non-transacting. You know, they could be forklift manufacturers. Mm-hmm. They've added IoT under their product and are now an Azure partner. So right. in that world, like how do you connect the dots between a forklift manufacturer, an MSP, an accountant, a system integrator, a couple of ISVs, and maybe a consultant. So how do you build that room of five people to drive a better outcome for a construction company or a builder or an architect that wants to use that product? And Tidwit is kind of the idea here in a nonlinear way, how to make those connection points and be customer obsessed. Yeah, creating that platform and helping people find each other. You know, I think that's really uh, the whole idea of collaborating for mutual aid for a unified purpose, which is to serve that end user and meet the market demand is really driving this innovation. Yeah. And there's 35 million permutations at the customer side based on what kind of buyer, what kind of industry or sub-industry they're in, what geography they're in, sector segment, what product lines, what uh, types of partners. So all of those, if you multiply it all together, is such a big number that it's impossible for a human to go and connect the dots. So you need a system of AI and automation to, and predictive and prescriptive kind of you know, machine learning right. that connect the dots. So if I'm calling mid-sized health care clinics in upstate New York, it can connect me to the other people, non-competitive to me, but who can help me. One plus one equals three deliver in front of my client as well as other clients. I love that example. So if we come back to to our to the channel, as I know it, 
which has been up till now, in many cases, a transactional channel, but now it is definitely changing. And some of the service providers that we work with in this channel have really been disrupted by COVID in terms of how they do business, um, in particular in their marketing, their MDF programs. Um, how do you see the transformations we've been discussing affecting that? Will we ever go back to those old models of roadshow lunch and learns and huge sponsored master agent events and big trade shows? And and if not, what do you see replacing them? Yeah, I just wrote a report a couple of weeks ago on this very subject. And, you know, at Forrester, we talked to 690,000 you know, people every year in terms of asking these very questions. And the future of work as we know it has been, in our case, forever altered. Uh, we think that you know, in the future, you know, 70 to 80% of people will return to normal, but that leaves 20 to 30% of people. You're starting to see companies now that they don't want their people back till July of next year. Right. Like Salesforce and Google. Google. You're seeing several companies that um, have shut down their headquarters and are canceling leases. So there's, we're reimagining a remote topology, which is a new future of work. So that's kind of, you know, one element of, of that piece. But if you look at future buyers, if you look at future ways to communicate, I mean, we've seen the rush of UCAS like Zoom and other tools. Um, but if you think about the future of selling and social selling and all the other pieces that go into it, you know, not only you and, and your company, but all of the partners and every player in the ecosystem has to change up their approach in this kind of new world. And you've got to kind of help with co-selling and co-marketing, marketing to, through, and with partners at a much larger and more robust scale than you've done in the past. Mm-hmm. The ability, again, to obsess over your customer and the moments and to make sure every moment is a home run is the new battleground for the next decade. Yeah, I just recently heard uh, Tiffany Bova of Salesforce talking about you know, the formula for success is having a happy customer and a happy employee. And even though that seems very simple, I know it can be complicated in this world to achieve that. Yet I was recently, uh, in fact, just today talking with one of my clients who's a sales manager in a tech company. And I reminded him, I said, just inquire, how can I make my customer and my employee more happy? each and every day. That's our number one inquiry. And for the employees, I think for, you know, folks that are working within these organizations, the work from home environment has provided a lot of freedoms, but at the same time, automation is going to put a new uh, scope and a new lens on what they're doing. And so we're all going to have to engage in this technology a little bit more you know, as we go forward, I see that being um, just a, another trend in the work from home sector is your your boss maybe can't see you anymore in a physical way, but they are seeing you much more clearly through technology. Yeah. And by the way, to wrap up that entire survey, the number one opportunity for the channel and for anyone in technology coming into phase two or phase three of COVID is absolutely automation. So we went through a human failure in COVID and companies are looking to, you know, look at their workflows, look at their processes, look at their business logic 
and build humans less as gates and more as parallel to mm. an automated system that can work even in the middle of a pandemic. So I love that. It's exactly where innovation is, and it's the number one investment area for the next six months. Well, I think you answered uh, all of my questions, including, you know, how we're seeing innovation changing our culture going forward. So, Jay, again, I thank you for your generosity in coming and chatting with me today and and sharing these really meaningful insights with our listeners. We are going to continue to watch your spaces to see what you're continuing to see on the horizon. So thanks again. Well, thank you for having me. Bye.